0: Uh, This is episode four with Shep Haken. I'm very, very excited to be speaking with him. Um, He has 31 years of experience in the customer success journey world, and his bio is amazing. His bio is as a follows. Chef Haken is a customer service and experience expert and the Chief Amazement Officer at The Shepherd Presentations. He's a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author and has been inducted into the National Speakers Association Hall of Fame for Lifetime Achievement in Professional Speaking. Shep works with companies and organizations who build loyalty with their customers and with their employees. His articles have been read in hundreds of publications and he's the creator of the Customer Focus, a customer service training program which helps clients develop a customer service culture and loyalty mindset. I'm so excited that Shep has been joining me today. I really hope you appreciate this conversation as much as I do. Let's get into it. Right, Shep, thank you for joining me.
1: Hey, I am so excited to be here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you're all over the internet. I was looking at Twitter last night. I think you're, you're posting almost every hour, it seems like.
1: <laughs> well, it's not so much every hour. I, I, I probably do four or five, six times a day, but then I respond a lot to people. And so uh, twice a day, uh, somebody on my team sends me a list of every interaction on social media that I need to respond to. I mean, it's easy, they can say thank you, that's fine. But if there needs to be a response, if somebody asks a question, they show up twice a day, I uh, respond back, it doesn't matter if it's in Twitter, if it's in Facebook, if it's in LinkedIn, if it's, you know, whatever the comments are, I send them back and then they get posted. So it it probably gets spread out over time as a result of that. So it does probably appear that I'm doing like 20 a day.
0: (laughs) So it's a batching process that you do you get a yeah, I mean, it out I,
1: I, I amazingly I understand that the social media channels very well but if you say hey chef go on Facebook and make a post I struggle with that because <laughs> I don't I, I do go on and I look at things and I, I enjoy reading what people are saying but when it comes to the actual interaction that I have with people through business uh, what I do is I leave it to my team to get all of that compiled into one big document twice a day. So that I can respond to everything at once. So I'm not, otherwise, if you know my personality, I'd be staring at this thing every minute, waiting for something new to come on so I can
0: quickly respond. So I uh, I really I enjoy the five top customer tips that you you're sending out often, uh, and I really encourage you as to pause this video and go onto your Twitter feed or your Facebook feed or your LinkedIn and check out that type of content that you're putting out. Um, in terms of engagement, do you find that it's working well for you, or is there or is there areas oh, yeah. you'd like to tweak for it?
1: So so understand, I have a very disciplined approach to everything I do in business. So my social media schedule is Forbes on Sunday. I write an article. I've been writing for years for Forbes. I, I'm under contract to do at least one a week. Uh, so on Mondays, I do the top five articles I read from the week before, which is a great... By the way, anybody can do that one. If you want to be better at what you do, read what everybody else is doing in your field. And then if you... If you Google search and they and we create an alert where every day I get alerts on all of these different articles around the topics that I'm interested in, they're what I speak on and write about, customer service, customer experience, customer loyalty, anything related to that type of marketing, artificial intelligence as it applies to serve, et cetera, et cetera. So I read all these articles and I just check off my favorite ones. And then uh, later in the week I say, why did I like this one? I'm just gonna write a sentence or two why and that becomes a great post of my five favorite articles. Tuesday's a podcast, Wednesday's a newsletter, and a blog that gets uh, sent out. Thursday's a video I do on YouTube. Friday, we bring in a guest and I uh, make a comment about the guest post. Saturday, uh, we just do more social media to set up for the rest of the week. So it's a very disciplined approach. Uh, but it, you asked me if it's working. Here's why it's working. Back in the day before the internet, uh, the only way to get business for me anyway was I had to pick up the phone and smile and dial and I would spend I would do at least twenty to twenty five calls a day. The goal was to do one hundred calls a week now you don 't talk to a hundred people you only talk to maybe ten people, and of the ten people, maybe one or two of them might be interested in what I do so if you think about it, over a period of a a week, I might be lucky to get one lead out of that. But what happens when you start to get really good interested leads and you do this every week, you start to great, you know, create business that way and that builds because you get repeat business and referrals, et cetera, et cetera. But what happened is um, social media came along and I recognized if I would spend more time writing and posting valuable content I'd spend the same amount of time as I would on the phone, but the difference is instead of trying to reach 100 people and only talking to a few, I could send out and potentially be seen by thousands of people. Now, of those thousands of people, very few, a small percentage are in the position to hire me to come and do a presentation or to hire one of my trainers or for me to come in and do a consulting project. But um, it's a great way to get exposure. So the short answer is yes. The longer answer I've already given you
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is working. Yes, it is working. Guys, I mean, that's how we've been connected, which is really great. I think it's maintaining that discipline um, is the difference, which is certainly something that's been a reoccurring theme for for the guests that we've had on the podcast around it, whether it's
1: that. Somebody once said to me, the difference between those that do and those that don't is those that do actually do and those that don't don't. (laughs) (laughs) that makes sense and it made total sense to me you've got to be a doer and even when I know I'm going to be on vacation for a week or two weeks or I'm going to be busy I will write you know three weeks of content ahead of time I'll record three weeks of content ahead of time so that I can go and enjoy myself and I'll still get on and respond appropriately but I'm not worried about spending you know an hour or two hours writing an article as opposed to you know relaxing with my family if I'm on vacation. And if they heard what I just said, they go, he never relaxes.
0: That's (laughs) not true. (laughs) Have have you always had that level of discipline or is that something that you've built over time? Uh,
1: When I was a kid, I had my own business and I think that helped, but even more so when I went away, uh, well, in in high school, um, I had summer jobs and there was always a guy who I worked for who was very, very tough on me. But when I went to uh, college, this I went to work full-time for this company. It was an oil company. They had gas stations. I worked in gas stations and convenience stores, but they had 100 of them. So when I came into work in the company, this guy was really pushing his work ethic on me. So I would go to school five days a week, but I'd finish with school at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I'd head over to the headquarters, and I'd work from 2 o'clock until 6 o'clock. But on Saturdays and Sundays, I worked 10 hours. And he would, would make me do this. And I have to get up at like four 35 in the morning to do it. And basically it, it, it got me in the habit of getting up early, getting a lot done and being very disciplined. I think it's real important. I'll tell you when I was in college, I got my homework done. I worked full time 40 plus hours for this company. And I did magic shows and nightclubs two nights a week. That was one of the things I enjoyed doing. And I went out with friends and I had dates and, and, uh, I made the best grades ever made during that time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's because when you're, when you're disciplined like that and you're doing a lot and staying busy, you're really forced to compartmentalize your time and really take advantage of, of the time that you have. And, you know, so, I mean, I, I like to sleep too, but I mean, I recognize when it's time to go to sleep, you go to sleep. So I remember when I was working in these gas stations, I used to have to get up at 435 in the morning to get there. So one night I would just go to bed early. Okay, like seven o'clock, and I'd get up. But the next night, I would stay out all night because I figured I got my night. <laughs> That's the night before, so I figured out how to make it all balance out. Because you know, <laughs> all work and no play makes, you know, as they say, Jack a very dull boy. I K case Shep.
0: So um, So, so this is one of the questions that everyone gets asked when they come on this podcast. What did you have for breakfast this morning?
1: Nothing. Ah. So there you go. That was an easy answer. No, um, unless I'm working out, uh, what I try and do is just I try to do that uh, intermittent fasting thing where I'll eat at lunchtime, try and eat dinner about 630 or 7 o'clock, and then don't eat till the next day.
0: We're we're episode four. I wonder if we can get to episode six with 100% of the people answering the same way.
1: Did they say the same thing? They 100% of
0: everyone else has the exact same answer. It's, it's a very interesting, reoccurring theme that we've got. It might be a confirmation bias on my end from people. It's, that it's I'm,
1: societal right now.
0: I, I, it might be. It may be the, uh, the Atkins diet of 2020.
1: Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it because believe me, when it comes time for lunch, I'm freaking hungry. And I eat today, <laughs> you know, last night for dinner, we had this beautiful pork tenderloin with this like a uh, pear or peach chutney or something on my wife is an unbelievable cook. So what do you think I had for lunch today? Leftovers. She always makes enough for me to go to lunch the next day.
0: <laughs> um, I just think for the viewer that, that, uh, that, that maybe wants to learn a little bit more about your business. What would you what would you say it does in a short sentence?
1: So I am uh, so so. I guess the best way to describe it is, I work with companies who want to build loyal relationships with their customers and their employees. In short, I'm a customer service and experience expert. So the next question you might ask is, well, how do you do that? So companies, you know, obviously I write a lot. I write articles. I've written a number of books. So what companies hire me to do is come out and do speeches at their events. Sometimes it's an industry event. Sometimes it's a corporate event. Plus we provide training. So I have trainers that actually deliver my content and we have online virtual training uh, using that word virtual before virtual came in vogue recently. But uh, for, for, uh, gosh, five or six years, I've had online interactive virtual content that's all video based through the internet. And so our clients uh, buy annual licenses to be on that platform.
0: So this is a system that you've developed over over 30 plus years.
1: Yeah. yeah I know I don't look that old. <laughs> Bald guys don't look old until one day they all of a sudden look real old. <laughs>
0: I like see, what uh, happened
1: to that guy? I, I saw <laughs> him a month ago. He looked normal. Now he's
0: old. <laughs> so. If you go into if you go into your YouTube channel and you filter by most popular, uh, I think it's 13 years ago. The taxi story uh, is is you telling a story of of going into a taxi and and learning about the yeah. customer experience. I think you look almost exactly the same.
1: You know, and and so there's two versions of that story. One was like last year, and the other one you can just. I look the same, but because of the way video has evolved, you can tell it's an older version, which by the way is probably about 12 or 13 years old. But what's really interesting is the story still sound. I still tell a version of that story today. There was no Uber or Lyft back then, but what's interesting just to put it in perspective, it's a good story and it takes great customer service principles and it takes it to what I would consider the ordinary job of a taxi cab driver who decided to be a little bit extraordinary and just do a little bit more and as a result he did phenomenally better than all of the other taxicab drivers that he knew he was making the average income of a taxicab driver when he was starting out was under twenty thousand dollars a year and that was a long time ago so it was a, not a great living but it was a living he figured out within a year, he's making more than $100,000 a year, which actually isn't bad today. And this is like 25 years Shep,
0: ago. Can I can I just cut you off? Could you summarize that story very quickly? Because I'm going to butcher it if I try and tell it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I know I'm talking in US dollars, but just imagine that the driver is making five times more than everyone else, okay? So essentially, uh, this guy picked me up and, and it was the hottest day of the summer, he, he And it was the end of the day, so he had looked a little disheveled. And I wasn't sure when I looked at him, what's the inside of the taxi cab like? Well, it was spotlessly clean on the inside. The air conditioning worked fine. There was a little bucket with some ice and two sodas. There was a newspaper sitting on, actually two newspapers sitting on the seat next to me. And, and this guy, even though he looked all disheveled and sweaty and his hair was all messed up, again, I didn't think about it, but it was the end of the day. And it was the hottest day of the summer. Uh, that particular day. And he just like surprised me that this was so nice and clean. And we're on the the road on the way to the airport. And he asked me if I wanted to see this landmark fountain. And I thought, you know, I'll humor the guy. He said it would take one minute. And that's really all it took. And right off the highway, there it is. And he's so excited about it. We get back in the cab, we're on our way. And I'm thinking, this guy's really, really good. And at the end of the trip, you know, I think it was like, I don't know, $22 $22 for the ride. and I gave him like an extra 10 bucks on the tip and, wow. and he thanked me. But that's a good story because, you know, he took a normal ride and turned it into something special because even though I'm sitting in a taxi cab, I'm feeling like I'm in a limousine. So the best part about it is I came back and every time I'd go back and do business with again, but here's why. Because four days later after this ride, I just told you about now, what happened is when we went to the fountain, I know I jumped there. When we went to the fountain, he asked me for a business card because he said he collects the cards of the people that he drives. And then I gave him my card, which gave him the excuse to give me his card, which is like, call me the next time you're here. So I thought, well, that was clever. But really, what he was doing was getting my address so he could send me a thank you note. So four <laughs> days later, I get a thank you note from a cab driver. I mean, are you kidding me? And then at Christmas time, I'd get a holiday card from Frank. And if he was still, uh, you know, in the business today, I'd still use them every time I go to Dallas. You retired a long time ago, but, but what a great story! And I thought, if the ordinary job of a taxi cab driver—nothing sophisticated about it at all—what can you do to make that better? Well, he figured it out. Give somebody some sodas or waters. And actually, he, you know, in the time—if you think about it—we've had cell phones for a long time, but he said, "Hey, do you need to make a call?" And he handed me, oh, I've got my own phone. Okay, just making sure. I mean, it was just, he was such a gentleman and so mild-mannered. And, and it's just, it was a great story. And there's a lot more to it than that. So there's, go watch the story. Just go to uh, shep.tv. And I think it's toward the top.
0: Um, yeah, it's there. If you filter by popular. So I, I think the key, the key thing is, is that small incremental benefits massively can impact over the long term. Yeah, I mean, it didn't it's, cost it's him that much. It's not always
1: something huge. It's little details that sometimes count. I, I wrote an article uh, titled, Detail is No Detail. And the magic can be in those little details that make you stand out. Because otherwise, everything's normal and ordinary, just like
0: everyone else. Shep, mm-hmm. you've clearly got a system uh, that you've built over 30 years. In the last five years, have you changed it? Or is there anything new that you've brought into it well, you, I think in the last, his way, his way.
1: Uh, let's not, let's just talk about the last five weeks. Um, sure. if you yeah. no, but, uh, so in the last five years, what I've done differently, I'd say, and actually it was probably more like six or seven years ago, I decided to invest in online learning, which I mentioned, we have our online courses. That was a pretty big investment back then. I was on the board of a company that did online virtual learning about five years before that. And the cost to bring that into a company could be a six figure um, investment for the company. Some companies are spending upwards of close to a million dollars or more for a learning management system. And all of a sudden I noticed prices were coming down and down and down. It was like you know your, your computers used to cost $1,000, now you can buy them for a few hundred dollars. You'd think they'd be going up over time, not down. But the technology had improved to the point where I could create a course and put it online. And so that was a really smart move because it allowed me to make money actually. And I always made a little bit of money aside from speaking, but it allowed me to have income outside of just speaking. So today our business revenue, about 50%, maybe 60% comes from me actually speaking. And the rest of it comes from uh, whether it be online learning, virtual programs. And I jokingly said what's happened in the last five weeks and you know, I know this dates a little bit, COVID nineteen pandemic, but you know, the the idea of bringing you know any speaker in, let alone me, to be in front of a thousand people in a conference center, it's not happening right now, and it may not happen for another year. So I've been doing virtual presentations, webinars, that type of thing for many years, mm. but the rest of the world finally realized Zoom's a pretty good medium and um, to do this type of thing. And Zoom's really, I mean, they've gotten so much better over the years. Not even, I don't think it was even 10 years ago. Uh, Skype, I don't even think it was around back then. I think you had your basic web-based company. 2010,
0: 2010, it was around, but it, I don't think it was ever very, it started with um, people using it to communicate socially, but then it took them a right. long time to build it to business.
1: Right. And you had Google Hangouts and that type of thing. So You know, today I've already done looking at my schedule. I've already done uh, three virtual presentations at some level. One was a rehearsal for what I'm doing tomorrow, uh, and one was what you would normally term as a webinar. And uh, but what I've tried to do since all this happened over the last few months, I realized I'm a professional speaker, I'm known to be good on stage. Now I'm going to go into this format called Zoom or Skype or Microsoft Teams and there's going to be a little tiny window of me. And here's my thought. Steven Spielberg, if I'm going to be on on in front of an audience for 20 minutes and then do Q&A or 30 minutes, how many millions of dollars does Steven Spielberg spend in Hollywood to entertain an audience and make those scenes for 20 30 minutes and let alone an hour and a half or 2 hour movie. You know, they'll spend 200 million dollars on a movie, but in that, you know, 20 minutes they're probably spending Twenty million dollars I am NOT I'm a talking head so what can I do to make this better now you and I are just talking to having this interview but if you were gonna say Shep would you do a webinar you would see my slides are not gonna, I'm not gonna share my screen my slides are gonna pop up next to me uh, I'm gonna have more than one camera angle so tomorrow's presentation even though it's a zoom call I'm gonna be standing up in front of a wall which has a really nice background on it, and um, i 'm going to have two camera angles i 'm going to have the ability to make my slides full screen or small next to me. you know i 'll be able to draw on the screen and you'll see you know like uh, like a whiteboard, if you will. all of that's now capable, and by the way, because of what I get paid i 'm expected i'm going to be better than a talking head, so I have to compete with Hollywood. <laughs>
0: Yeah it's it's so people forget that because you could just click on a video of yourself or click or, or watch Netflix and the production value is 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 polar opposite but they're actually so easy to to click on the two differences.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's easy. I mean, and honestly, who wants to watch a talking head? I think that there's a certain level of interest in the topic, there's some expertise that's coming out energy level is real important. Um, a little bit of animation is great if we can do that. So, and there's new technologies. Uh, I was working with a company called StreamYard, which is a cool technology to stream onto Facebook and Twitter and, and LinkedIn, but I love their interface. So granted you and I can talk, if I want to do a webinar where there's going to be a hundred, 500 people, I could use StreamYard. I could stream it live to a private YouTube URL. So we give everybody the URL, they log on there. It's just like logging on to a Zoom call, but the interface is so much better, uh, meaning it's going to look nicer. Uh, You're not going to see when I go to share my screen in Zoom, it's a big picture of whatever my screen is and a little tiny picture of me. Well, I'm the speaker. I'm the guy that's put put, forth that energy. I should probably be more the focal point than the picture. So you can flip that around with StreamYard or with the other programs that I'm using. Sorry, to make so, it so that's more StreamYard.
0: That's certainly something that I'm sure yeah. people are watching this and maybe that we can improve this, this podcast on. Yeah, you
1: can do it on, yeah, you can record it on stream because then you can live stream it, save the recording and then take the audio and send it out as an audio or use the video. It's a beautiful thing. Love it, great. I love, I love any idea that you can uh, multiply the results with.
0: For sure, and I, I think um, people people have been criticising the lack of face to face sales conversations mm. um, over the past three months. But look, my view on that one is is that we've 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 had let's say thirty years of experience of building relationships face to face. We've only had three months of building relationships over video. So it's yeah. techniques like this, this that are going to really differentiate those that can adapt to video and online sales versus still relying on that old school face to face methodologies that we, we know to do, but we just can't really transfer that well over.
1: Right. So tomorrow one of the presentations I'm giving isn't even a presentation. It's a lunch. We have a, and I've been doing this. Think about this over the years. I get hired to go to a fancy restaurant, go into a meeting room or a private room in the back of that restaurant and talk to this company's best 10 customers or prospects. Okay. So I'll talk for 10 or 15 minutes, open it up for Q and A. And then I actually have an engaging conversations. So tomorrow we're having what I call my eat and speak. And what's cool is uh, we give we send everybody a, uh, a certificate or, or a gift certificate, if you will, for lunch in their area and to have it delivered at a specific time. And then we all for the first half hour eat and I introduce everybody. So Scott, tell us about yourself. And I always say name, where you're from, what you do at your company, your company <laughs> name, what you do, and something interesting about you that no one would know about um, unless they really knew you. You get 45 seconds. Ready, set, go. Oh, I <laughs> so, like that.
0: Watch him, yeah. watch him. There's usually that moment of panic of what do I say or what do I do? Well, I,
1: I give him a good idea. I go, Shep Hiking I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm the Chief Amazement Officer at Shepherd Presentations, where we help our companies create loyal customers through teaching them how to do. Or create amazing experiences. And something interesting about myself, tonight I'm going to be playing guitar with Eric Clapton <laughs> on, on YouTube. He's on YouTube, and I'm just playing along with him. <laughs> and so it always gets a laugh. And then I go, well, that's not so hard. And then we go around the room. Then I talk for about 10 or 15 minutes on my topic, and then I open up for Q&A. But then I ask them questions. Hey, what do you think of this? Tell me what that means to you. And now everybody's learning from everybody else. And it's a great conversation. Well, we used to do this live and in person. Who would have thought, let's do it on a Zoom call. And it's a blast because I could see everybody up there. I go, Scott, what's what's your answer? Bob, Dave, Sally, Cindy, whatever. It doesn't matter. It works out perfect.
0: Uh, I and think our clients
1: also, are loving this.
0: You can also see when people lose attention quite quickly because there's that that screen of the phone that's uh, that blue screen that comes up on their face pretty quickly.
1: Um, yeah, you the, know they're checking their email or they're doing something. The different.
0: eyeballs sort of go off this way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I can see you've got an electric and an acoustic guitar behind you. I
1: do, I do. And so I keep these in my office. When everybody leaves, uh, I usually play guitar for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. My brain moves to another place And then I'm all relaxed and I I may get back into writing or just doing whatever I was doing before. And I'm feeling great. I come home energized. Then I go home and might play guitar for another hour or two.
0: I, uh, I do the same thing. I use an app called Musician with a U. Uh, yep. And, and the, the beauty of that app is is that uh, it'll be listening to my chords or my notes. And when I get them wrong, it won't judge me. It will just subtly suggest that I have another go with it. Uh, oh, wow. It's, it's called Usition. Musician. I'm an absolute advocate. I prob- I've probably converted about 15 or 16 people onto it um, over the years. It's not cheap. It's about 200, 200 Aussie dollars a year. But I... Uh, mm-hmm. I sort of figured out that uh, I can just pick it up whenever I want. I'm doing about 10 to 15 minutes a night. And um, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, I, I'm, a, I'm an absolute advocate. and I do the same thing. Just, just switch off the brain a little bit that you can just do something yep.
1: else. Yep. So we so, can talk about music another time. I think we I will. can talk about that forever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of the most obvious questions I need to ask you is, is why have you written so many books? Why
1: not? <laughs> so um, when I was uh, in it, first getting into the speaking business, somebody said, you ought to write a book. So I took my speech and I transcribed it, and it ended up being about 20% of what I needed to write a book. That book was titled Moments of Magic. Because I talk about this idea that in you have an interaction with a customer. It goes one of three ways. It could be average, which is a moment of mediocrity. It could be a problem or a bad experience, which is a moment of misery. Or it could be a positive experience, a moment of magic. And that's anything better than average. Sometimes it's over the top. Sometimes it's just a little better than average. But uh, I I talked about that, and I took that speech, and I turned it into my first book. Not a big, thick book, 160, 170 pages, hardback, fun book, easy to read, sold hundreds of thousands of them over the years. And then uh, I wrote this little book about the taxi cab driver. And then I was going to write another book, and I started to write it because we were getting more into the training programs. So I wrote a book based on the training, and then John Wiley and Sons, one of the largest publishers in the world, second to McGraw-Hill, said, would you consider that book project with us? I said, oh, oh, sure. And that, that became the cult of the customer. And uh, from there, I wrote uh, The Amazement Revolution, uh, Be Ama- or, uh, Amaze Every Customer Every Time. Uh, be amazing or go home. Let's see. There's another one. There. <laughs> so, and if I was uh, watching
0: this, if I was watching this podcast right now, and I wanted to click on one book to get started, um, what would your recommendation be?
1: So, one book to get started would be "Amaze Every Customer Every Time." So, every one of my books talks about moments of magic. So, that's like a premise that's through everything. And then the second book would be the Convenience Revolution, which I actually think the Convenience Revolution I enjoy more because. Nobody has really written about convenience, but if you really want customer service, the foundational ideas are in that. They're in a lot of my books, but that particular book amaze every customer every time. So I took one, and this was a fun one because all my other books, I use multiple examples from different companies in different industries. I said, what would happen if I didn't write the book about a company, but I used one company that was great at all of these? Boy, that's going to be hard to find but I need a company that's not been written about before. So everybody's written about Amazon and Zappos who owns Amazon or Amazon owns Zappos, uh, Nordstrom, and all these companies had been written about before.
0: Which is a clothing Nobody retailer. Yeah. Big, yeah. Big box retailer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But how about Ace Hardware? Are you familiar with Ace Hardware?
0: No, never heard of them.
1: Okay. They actually have, um, i trying to remember what the brand they, they uh, support over there and where you live. Um, shoot. And I've worked for them because I did a tour
0: in. So, so the big box retailers is Bunnings, Miter Ten, and the and the. the this, oh, the,
1: Miter, the, 10, the, Miter, Miter Ten, Miter Ten. So think about Miter Ten as like Ace Hardware, the not so much the big box versions, but they have smaller versions in the city. Okay. Miter Ten, they are the most amazingly nice people. I love <laughs> Miter Ten. Anyway, so uh, I, Ace Hardware. I said, why would I write about Ace Hardware? And I was actually doing a speech with with uh, for Ace that day, and I was sitting with their executives. And I said, if I were to walk down the street and I said, would you, who's like in the top 10 customer service uh, companies in the world, do you think Ace would be one of them? Oh, absolutely. I go, uh, I know that within the hardware industry and in the home improvement industry, you're number one. You, you rank in customer satisfaction, et cetera, et cetera. They go, no, no, worldwide. We're a recognized brand. I go, prove it. They pulled out a business week. One of the executives pulled out a business week. And it had the top 25 brands in customer service worldwide. And a lot of my favorite companies. You think were on that Disney list. would be
0: up there? Disney's gonna be number one.
1: No, Disney wasn't number one. I don't even think Disney might have been in the top 10. The Ritz Carlton was number 11. That's one of my favorites. Number 10, Ace Hardware. <laughs> oh. Imagine that. And it's based on awards that they've won, recognition, social media uh, attention, and reviews. And I said, "Okay, let's write this book." So again, I love the philosophies of David versus Goliath: small retailer against big box store. Any competition doesn't matter. You could be B two B. If you're a small manufacturer against the big manufacturer, um, if you know, perhaps you're a distributor. It doesn't matter. All of these principles apply. And so there's 52. Get this Ace Hardware: 52 tools. Okay. Get it, fifty-two strategies, it. <laughs> and at the end of each one of these, there's a drill,
0: <laughs> a question. <you> know? <laughs> so, this, is I this know. for new staff members or just for all employees? It's for everybody. It's okay. right. and here's what's cool. I'm
1: gonna. I, I know you may not be <laughs> able to see this, but amaze every customer every time. So if you get rid of the, uh, if I put, uh, I, when I sent the proposal with the idea to the Ace Hardware, I put amaze. Every on one line, uh, customer on the second line, and every time. And if you looked at the first letters, it was A C E for Ace. <laughs> and so they they loved the idea. They bought off on it, and they said, "Let's do this." And and they were they were so great to work with. And they uh, I had probably interviewed seventy five owners of stores. I interviewed twenty executives. I had a blast learning at a deep dive about a company. And by the way, those are the things that get me excited is to learn whenever I work with a new client, I get to learn about them and find out about their business, how they do things. And it just makes me a more well-rounded person for helping other clients.
0: Shep, I just want to keep an eye on time here. I know you're a busy guy and there's a lot going on. So if you mind, can I just fire some rapid fire questions at you?
1: Rock and roll, and I'll give you quick answers.
0: <laughs> What's it like when you walk into a new business and they've had someone like you in the past try and create a customer service journey and it's not worked? What do you do? What What does it look like when it goes wrong?
1: When it goes wrong, so we, we need to teach people about recovery. Recovery is really important. Uh, back to a principle, uh, the moment of magic, anything above average, when it's predictable and consistent, above average, people say, customers say, I like them because they're always friendly, always helpful, always knowledgeable. And when a company recovers well, they'll say, and even when there's a problem, I can always count on them to take care of me. So what we want to do is want to look at the process, figure out what's broken, try to fix it to mitigate, if not eliminate problems in the future, and teach people how to recover properly to not just fix a problem, but restore confidence.
0: Can you give us an example specifically that comes to mind?
1: of a moment of misery. Exactly. A, a,
0: a business that have they've been going down one trajectory. They've gone, oh my God, this isn't working. This, we, we need to get, this, this other guy that we had that was working with us just has just almost broken it. And you've had to come oh, in no. and go, what's this?
1: Oh, wow. Wow. I, 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 well, so I, 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 it's really interesting. If you can't, even if you bring somebody in that does what I do that isn't that good, but they're, they're probably pretty good, it's usually the company's fault that it didn't work not the expert's fault. So it's a question of, you know if you want to hire me to do a speech to do customer service, do you think me being on stage for 45 minutes or an hour is going to fix your customer service problems? No, it's not. So we had a client that had about 150 retail stores. And uh, there were a few rock stars, but most of them were mediocre and some were really bad. And so how do we fix this? I said, well, first of all, we're going to do a test to decide whether you even want me to fix it. I want to have five people five managers in a training session. I want one company that's or one of your stores that's rockstar. I want one that's the worst store that you can think of in the area. And I want three that are mediocre. And the reason I want the rockstar there is the rockstar will prove that it works, okay? And let's see what we can do with these other four. Can we get the mediocre to a higher level? Can we get the person at the bottom to at least be average, if not even just a little better than average? And that's the key. You start small, you see if it works, you find out what your system is, And then you start to replicate that throughout. So, um, you know, I'm not going to give you specific names of companies because I don't think anybody wants to say we were really bad at one time. (laughs) I make Uh, it a habit never to
0: bash the company. I think it's it's, it's like that process of every diet works as long as you stick to it.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's really the discipline. Uh, And when you have a problem, the goal, as I mentioned, don't just fix the problem, restore confidence. I have a quick five-step process. Number one, acknowledge the problem. Number two, apologize for it. You can apologize first if you want to acknowledge second. Number three, fix it. Number four, if it comes to you, you own it and act like you own it. Even if it wasn't your fault and somebody else is going to take care of it, let that customer feel like they're talking to the person that's helping them. And number five, act with urgency. And when you do it quickly, that's what brings it to a level where they go, wow, that's, that's great because you've restored their confidence at that point.
0: That's great. Um- So let's, uh, is there, uh, I mean, one of my questions here is usually what books would you most gift to people? Uh, But I can see a bookshelf behind you of your own ones. So I'm not sure if that's quite relevant.
1: (laughs) So so here's the thing, get everybody the convenience revolution or or amaze every customer or any one of the other uh, seven books or five books or seven total. Um, The um, book that I would say, if there's a book that influenced me over the years, I love the book, The Experience Economy by Joe Pine and Jim Gilmore. Okay. my favorite probably my favorite book of all time as far as business goes i i actually should probably write an article about my 10 favorite books because i'd put up there in search of excellence even though many of the companies are in that book aren't even around anymore the idea behind what made them excellent at the time is timeless not just timely um what they don't teach you at harvard business school by mark mccormick i bought that book when i was just starting out and i was like using all the techniques and getting business. Uh, Harvey McKay swim with the sharks without being eaten alive. Now he's written a number of books since then, but he's one of my favorites as well. So there's, uh, the, uh, selling the invisible, especially for people in the service business uh, where there's no tangible product like insurance for say, you know, that's a great book. So I have these favorite books. Oh, uh, uh, Robert Cialdini's book. Um, he, uh is it in, I think. Well, the le- most recent one is influence. Um, what, what did he write? Uh, oh gosh, he wrote persuasion. Say, you, yeah. had, you, you almost had an out of
0: bo- out of body moment remembering that 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 book. Yeah, when it came it's, to it's, you. it's right
1: over here, though. I have it right around <laughs> I keep it pretty handy. What we'll but, do is uh, we'll
0: it, add to the show notes afterwards. Yeah, um, yeah. And and we'll we'll make a list of these these recommendations so people can check them out themselves.
1: Sure. Anything by Robert Cialdini phenomenal
0: perfect so, so uh, if people are wanting to follow you where, where's the best best way to to
1: start at dot com. if you want to look at my youtube channel it's chef.tv make it easy or chef tv.com whatever you want but uh that's uh and by the way i have a tv show which i'm kind of proud of it's on uh, amazon prime and apple tv and roku but you can also go to beamazing.tv and all of the episodes are there we went into a short three-month hiatus uh over the last few months but uh we're in season two getting ready to film episode four in the next
0: few weeks fantastic Chef! thanks so much for your time i really appreciate it be
1: here thank you for having me